Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. So good to see you once again. Romans chapter 8 for week 2 of our series entitled Scars. So last week as we opened the series up, I told you the story of the scar on my knee. And every scar has a story. It was a self-inflicted wound. I have another scar right here on my chin. Sometimes I forget it's there. Because uh, I don't look at my chin very often, but you guys, most of you, since I'm 6'6", six, six, you look up at my chin. And so once in a while, somebody says, hey, Pastor Phil, how'd you get that scar on your chin? I, I, well, yeah, there's a story about that scar. My junior year of football, I took a cheap shot. I mean, it was an illegal hit. I got laid out. I fell on my all-everything. Somebody took me out. It was a wound inflicted on me, not by me. And I wear the scar to this day, seven stitches, stitched it up. But the reality, church, is that we all bear scars physically. The reality is I'm convinced the hardest scars we bear are the ones we bear inwardly. And that's why our graphics team came up with this design. A scarred heart is a darkened heart. And God wants to heal our broken hearts from all the scars of life. This series is on suffering. I want to talk today about a theology of suffering. I'm convinced in modern Christianity, in this bubble we live in of prosperity, most American Christians don't have a great theology on suffering. In fact, there's a heresy, the prosperity theology, that says if you come to faith in Jesus, you'll be rich, thin, healthy, and wealthy. Now, even if that's not your theology, I'm convinced we all have a soft prosperity theology. In other words, as a child of God, we sometimes are confused about our expectations of God. Like if God loves me, I should never ever have to suffer. And if I'm suffering, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe he's not really there. Maybe he doesn't really care. I preached a message similar to the one I'm about to preach a few months ago to Paradigm Young Adults on Tuesday nights. The name of the message is, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? One of the questions people ask most often is, if God is so good, why is the world so full of suffering? Now, last week, Debbie Stiegler, our director of ministry operations, told her story. And she bears some really deep scars over the last 10 years of traumatic loss, pain, and suffering. And she wrote a book about it. I encourage you to get it. And it tells her story. It's called Beyond Survival. You can get it at debbiestiegler.com. And in that book, I do an afterword. I answer 10 or 11 questions people ask about suffering, just the theology, biblically. Why do we suffer and what is God doing? I want to answer one of those questions today. If God is so good and God is so loving, why does he allow me to suffer? Antagonists of Christianity, skeptics often argue like this. Well, if God is all-powerful and he's all-good then there shouldn't be any suffering in the world. Because if God wants to end the suffering, but he can't end the suffering, then he's not all-powerful. Or if he would like to end the suffering, but doesn't end the suffering, and he could end the suffering, then he's not all-good. 
And the Apostle Paul answers this question, I'm convinced, in Romans chapter 8. And I want to give you today the theology of suffering biblically, to see it from the scope of eternity, to see what God sees when he looks at the suffering of humanity. Romans 8 and verse 18, it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now the Apostle Paul is writing Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, a man, was very acquainted with suffering, lots and lots of pain. This is a man that is writing not just theologically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but a man that knows what he's talking about practically. And he says, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What Paul is referring to here is all of creation. God subjected his own creation to futility. In other words, God judged his own creation with chaos and confusion and ruin. Now, he didn't do it without hope. We're going to get to hope and that God is promising there is hope, that we don't live in a universe that's just cold and calloused and mindless. And the reality is there's only two options. If Darwinian evolution is true and there's no intelligence behind any of this, then we simply live in a cold, random universe where only the strong survive, natural selection. And really, if you're suffering, hey, it stinks to be you. We live, we suffer, we die, and that's it. On the other hand, what Paul is saying is we don't suffer without hope. In other words, God has subjected his creation to judgment and futility, but he's not done it in a hopeless kind of way. And I want you to see the origin of suffering. Listen very carefully. It was human sin that introduced human suffering. And this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to, that God subjected his own creation to futility. In other words, God himself has judged creation. And it was human sin that introduced human suffering. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 2, Genesis chapter 3. When you read the origin of all that is, guess what God said over and over again? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. You don't have to be a theologian to look around and say, it ain't no longer good. Now, there's some good aspects. The residue of God's glory is still among us. I'm going to go hike in a few weeks to the Grand Canyon. Pray for me. Because I have a feeling there's going to be some suffering along the way. (laughs) But, But just the beauty, the glory of God's creation that we still get to behold now, I want you to see, it's, it's not that it's all ruined. There's, there's no residue left of God's perfection. But the reality is you can look around every single day and go, you know, something has gone wrong. Since those opening pages of Genesis, something has gone radically wrong. And what God tells us is sin. God put Adam in a garden. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. He's in a perfect relationship with a perfect woman. Amen in a perfect place with a perfect God. It was awesome. 
God said, oh, Adam, don't eat of that tree. That one little thing that's in the middle of the garden, you can eat of all these other trees. Don't eat of that tree. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Romans 5 and verse 12, as by one man's sin, death entered the world, so death passed on all men, for all have sinned. You see, it was sin that introduced all of sufferings, what theologians call original sin. God subjected then his creation to the judgment of sin, which was chaos, confusion, and ultimately ruin, destruction. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And God had to judge creation for sin, for Adam's sin, for his rebellion. Adam ate and the world is still reeling and the rest is history. He passed that death sentence onto all of his posterity, onto all of humanity, so that all of creation now groans under the scars of sin. Not just Adam's race, but Paul says all of creation is under sin's curse, the curse of sin. And all of creation groans and travails under the curse of sin. Look at verse 22. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. All of creation. Here's what God is teaching us this morning. Listen carefully. Sin cursed all of creation with death, destruction, chaos, and confusion. You know what Job 25.5 says? Job 25.5 says even the stars are not clean. The cosmos itself is a reflection of a universe that's at war now with itself. This is the moon. Look at the face of a moon on a starry lit night. Look it up close. What you see is the scars of sin even on the face of the moon as it tells a story through the eons of time being bombarded with, with, with cosmic missiles <laughs> this now scarred the face of the moon. God says, I didn't do it that way. This was never meant to be. Even our own earth. When, when Paul says all of creation groans under the travail of sin and the curse of sin, even the face of our own globe is now scarred with the curse of sin. We're all familiar now with the, the wildfires that rage out in the west of the U.S. And of course in 2020, over 70,000 square miles in Australia burned. And we hear a lot today about global warming and the climate crisis. And listen carefully, I think we should be stewards of the world's ecosystems. I do. I believe that we should be stewards of the planet God gave us to live on. In fact, when you look at Adam's commission, I think that commission still applies. We should think about how we can take care of the planet. On the other hand, listen carefully. We happen to know, looking back through the lens of history, our planet has gone through at least five ice ages. Think about that for just a moment. At least five times, scientists know our planet has warmed and cooled, warmed and cooled, warmed and cooled. While we should take care of our planet, it's futility if we think we're going to completely alter it. Because long before men were burning fossil fuels, it was doing this very thing. The ancient city of Ephesus was a city Paul knew well. He planted a church there. The ancient city of Ephesus was like today's New York City. Guess why it died? And today there's nothing there. Because the Mediterranean Sea receded from what was once a port city. And because the Mediterranean receded, the city died. See, what we're experiencing right now has happened over and over again through thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Yes, let's take care of the planet, but we're not going to stop it because this planet is under the curse of sin with its radical, radical 
ecosystems that are altering and weather that is constantly changing and natural cataclysms. What Paul is teaching is it's all the curse of sin upon God's creation from fires to floods to tornado damage to uh, volcanic eruptions. All of this, what Paul says, the natural cataclysms is part of sin's curse. Cancer is part of sin's curse. COVID is part of sin's curse. It was never meant to be. And you can see why Paul says it's like birth pangs travailing under the curse of sin. Now the question becomes, and the obvious question then is this. Listen, if God knew ahead of time that Adam would choose sin and suffering, then why did God give him a choice. Some would argue, well, that makes God the author of evil. That makes God himself the author of suffering. No, God is not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of suffering, but he allowed the possibility of sin, thereby allowing the possibility of suffering. And the reason why God, in his infinite foreknowledge, allowed Adam a choice, a personal volition to choose him or sin against him, knowing ahead of time Adam would sin and all of creation would be subjected to chaos, confusion, and ruin. Listen carefully. God knew that a world without choice would actually be worse than a world without pain. Imagine had God made us like nothing more than a robot. This is the age of virtual reality. Guess what virtual reality is? It's not reality. It's virtual reality. This is the age of AI, artificial intelligence. Guess what artificial intelligence is? It's artificial. It's not real. Think about this. Had God made us nothing more than a robot that he could push a button and pre-program, we would have no relationship with each other. We would have no relationship with God. You see, love that's not freely given isn't love. Worship that's not freely given isn't worship. We were made for love, and we were made for worship. We were made to be known by God, and we were made to know God. And I want you to see that God knew a world without choice would actually be worse than a world without pain. It was a few years ago, I had my first iPhone. I shared this with Paradigm a few weeks ago because I think it illustrates, it makes a point. I had my first iPhone, and uh, I, you know, I was raised in the generation, phones were for one thing, you talk on them. My, how things have changed. I mean, some people never talk on their phone. So uh, I, you know, I, I don't really know anything about an iPhone except I had to have one and this is to talk on. And so I'm having a conversation with my youngest son. He's now 24. Uh, and uh, he, he, he was talking and we were talking and, and I said, seriously? Next thing I know, my phone's talking to me. I had no idea there's a third person in this conversation. And they're eavesdropping on us. I said, seriously? And it was talking to us. And, and Josh told me that's Siri. I had no idea who Siri was. You guys know who Siri is. Siri is like the ultimate personal assistant. I mean, she goes everywhere you go and she knows everything. And so for the next few days, I'm getting to know Siri and I'm like having a lot of fun with Siri and I'm trying to stump her and I'm asking her questions and I'm seeing what she knows and what she doesn't know. And, and a couple days later, I got on my phone and says, Siri, and she answered, go ahead, big sexy. I thought to myself, Siri, this is getting a little personal. Let's keep this purely professional, okay? Well, little did I know, my son, if you know Josh, is something he would do. He programmed Siri to answer me, big sexy. 
Now, at first, I was flattered. <laughs> really? No, of course I wasn't. You know why? Because Siri does not have a mind of her own. <laughs> she doesn't think I'm big. She doesn't think I'm sexy. She doesn't even know me. See, I could program her to say anything. I could pull my phone out today, say, Siri, go ahead, Phil. You're awesome. Philip the Great. Philip the Wise. Yeah, I could give myself a title. But here's the point. It would mean nothing. You know why? Because Siri doesn't have a mind of her own. A Siri doesn't know me. See, you were made to know God and to be known by God. You were made to worship God and serve God and worship God out of a love relationship that you have with God. Imagine if we had no choice. Listen, some people really distort God's sovereignty. They confuse God's foreknowledge with predestination. God foreknows all the outcomes, but he has not predestined all the outcomes. He foreknows what decisions you will make, but he has not predestined your every decision. He wants us to serve him because we want to, not because we have to. He wants us to worship him because we desire to, not because we have to. It's kind of like um, rumba. You know rumba? Rumba is a robot, vacuum cleaner. Uh, Bill Gates has said one day every home in America will have a robot in their house to do the dishes for them, to do the floors for them, and it's already began. So this is a rumba. I'm going to push the button. Here we go. And rumba is going to serve me. Watch this. You're going to do whatever I tell you. I want you to do the floors. Remember last week, Debbie broke a vase up here. She made an all kinds of mess. Rumba is going to clean up the mess that Debbie made a week ago. Look at him go. That's right. I need you to do my floors for me. I need you to serve me. I need you to obey me. Yeah, I need you to turn around. Turn around. Like a lot of people, you don't listen very well. That's right. Let me ask you, do you have a rumba relationship with God? Just mindlessly serving him? Yep, turn around. Don't go out of the light. Don't go out of the light. Stay in the light. No, we got camera angles to think about here, Rumba. That's right. Okay, you're going home. Time to go to bed. You'll do exactly what I tell it to do. Looking for home. I'm homing in. Oh, I'm getting hot. Hot. Getting warmer. Warmer. Warmer, almost there. All right, go back to sleep. Did you see how Rumba served me? I mean, Rumba did exactly what I told it to do. Uh, Rumba worked for me. When I told Rumba to go back to sleep, went back to sleep. Aren't you amazed? Imagine for a moment that was us. God could have done that. Yes, God could have averted all the suffering of our world. He could have made us just like that. Something he could just push a button, pre-programmed. We're going to obey him perfectly. There would be no sin. We're going to serve him. We're going to work for him. We're going to worship him. But here's the point. It would have had no meaning. See, had God not given Adam a choice to sin as opposed to serve him, then his yes would have had no meaning. 
And so God, in his infinite foreknowledge, knew exactly what Adam would do. He knew exactly the cost that it would be to redeem all of creation. And he made a decision in that infinite mind of God in that moment. Revelation 13 and verse 8, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the sinless Son of God, would die as the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world. Before there was any sin whatsoever, in the mind of God, he already had a solution. He already had an answer to reclaim all of creation from the curse of sin. The Son of God would go to the cross. The innocent ones would die. He would die for the guilty ones. And in so doing, he would subject all of creation to the judgment of sin, yet he would not do it without hope. It would be in Jesus that he'd take all the broken pieces and put them back together again. And what is true of all of creation, it is true of you and me. All the broken pieces God puts back together again. Listen, there's sometimes we bear the scars of sin based on our own sin or stupid decisions. Let's just be honest. I told you about my scar on my knee a week ago. That was because I did something dumb in a moment where I wasn't paying attention, chainsaw to the knee, self-inflicted wound. But sometimes those wounds aren't inflicted by ourselves. Sometimes it's sin inflicted on us, not by us, but somebody else's sin on us. So the story of this scar on my chin, so this guy and I, we kind of had a run of feud. We were playing, we were playing a rival school and we gotten into it that summer playing seven on seven football. Uh, and, uh, and I was running out for a pass, and the ball's in the air. And I don't know if you know anything about football, but when the ball's in the air, you can't hit the receiver. And that's exactly what happened. The ball's in the air. I'm looking back, and he came out of nowhere, and he nailed me. I'm talking flying through the air, laid back, knocked me down, almost knocked me out. Completely illegal hit. Guess what? He didn't get flagged for it. The referee didn't blow the whistle. Completely illegal, complete cheap shot, and that's what happens to a lot of us in life. Sometimes it's not sin inflicted by us. It's somebody else's sin inflicted on us, and now we're going to bear the scar of somebody else's sin. And sometimes those are the hardest scars to bear because it feels like they've gotten away and that God doesn't care. And I'm trying to tell you that in the middle of the chaos and the confusion and sin's ruin, when we're bearing the scars of sin, we groan. We groan under the curse of sin, but we don't groan as though there is no hope. God promises paradise lost is one day going to be paradise regained. Look at what it says in verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of children of God. There's coming a day that God is going to redeem all of creation from the bondage of corruption. And paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. Sin has delayed the plan of God, but it has not destroyed the plan of God. God is going to have this kingdom, this eternal kingdom that will be without end, it will be without sin, and it will be without suffering. Thanks be to God. Amen. And this is what Paul is now telling us. Yes, we live at a time where we groan under the travail of sin, and, and all of creation groans under the travail of sin with one bad news after another after another. But in the middle of all the bad news, don't forget the good news. This is not all that is. It will not last forever. 
that God has a promise and what sin has delayed, it has not destroyed. And currently we live in this parenthesis of time full of tears and trials and pain and death. And what that means is we groan, creation groans, and there's gonna be times in our lives that we groan. We groan because of the scars of sin. Earlier this year, I got a phone call that I knew would one day come, but I dreaded the day it did. My dad died, and I groaned. I groaned under the curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. No one gets an exception. No one is the exemption. I got another call a few weeks ago. 15-year-old teenage boy in our church took his life by suicide. Great-grandma, grandpa, grandma are now mourning the loss of a 15-year-old son. I groaned. I got another call this week. Another family in our church. Five-week-old little baby died, apparently of SIDS. Another grandma and grandpa mourning the loss, groaning under the curse of sin. You see, we live in a world where not even a five-week-old baby is exempt from the curse of sin. And it seems like it's nonsense. God, this doesn't make sense. But I want you to see that the curse of sin has so affected all of creation that no one is an exemption. No one gets to be the exception. And I want you to see, this is why Paul says, not simply creation groans, but we groan because of sin. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of the body. He's saying, even we, the children of God that have been bought and purchased with the blood of the Son of God, we are still under the curse of sin temporarily, though we have been redeemed eternally and that is why we live through this life in tears and trials and pain and death and we watch all of creation groan we hear about floods that are devastating the south and fires that are ravaging the west and that's bad enough but there are days it hits closer and closer to home and that's what Paul is saying that that we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Yes, we think about the sweet by and by, but we live in the temporal nasty now and now, and, 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 and we're waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In other words, when these bodies are no longer under the curse of sin. See, currently we're under the curse of Adam's sin. That's why these bodies are one day gonna grow old, get sick, and die. God never made us to die. We were made to live forever. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We were made to live immortally, but death brought mortality. These bodies are under Adam's curse. And that is why they all get sick. They all get tired. One of our staff a while back, I mean, he's all of like 27 years old, said, Pastor Phil, how do you never get tired? Oh, if he only knew. 27 years old, boy, it only, only gets worse from here. I mean, I'm, I've hit that age, some of you are at that age, where you go to the doctor for a checkup, and they want to start doing these new diagnostics and these new tests as part of the exam, and they're what I call the, you got to be kidding me exams, because the first thing you think when they tell you what they're going to do is, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm living at a time where 
I know more and more about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. These bodies he called a tent. The nature of a tent is something you're not going to live in very long. And that's what Paul's saying. These bodies are like a tent. We're not going to live in them very long. We're going to be redeemed from these bodies. For some of us, our tent pegs are starting to pull up, and the tent seams are starting to fray. The center of the tent is starting to sag. And what Paul is teaching us is that one day these bodies are going to be redeemed from the curse of Adam's sin. See, there's another Adam, and God's plan was that another Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, calls Jesus the last Adam, and he would come and reverse the curse of the first, and where the first Adam failed, the last Adam will finish. And one day we're going to have bodies that will never grow old, never get sick, never die. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us we're going to have the resurrected, glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body Jesus had after the resurrection, check this out, that could walk through walls, that could materialize out of thin air. Just imagine the conversations you're going to get to eavesdrop on in eternity. (laughs) Yeah, a body that could travel from heaven to earth at the speed of thought. See, a body that's not confined to time and space, a body that's no longer under the curse of sin. I'm talking about no more bad knees, no more bad backs, no more bunions, no more bifocals, no more balding. I'm going to have long golden locks for all of eternity. I can't wait to flip my hair forever and ever. And what Paul is trying to get us to remember is why we live in the nasty now and now where bad things happen. And no one is an exemption. God has a promise and God has a plan. And that plan has not been destroyed. It hasn't been diminished. It's only been delayed. Romans 8, 23. And while we live in this space of tears and trials and pain and death, let us remember there's a prize. He says, the prize will be worth the price of having faithfully carried the scars of life. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, Paul is teaching there is a purpose in the pain. That if we faithfully carry the scars of life, And we bear these scars. And we faithfully carry the suffering that one day all the pain of this life is going to be rewarded with an eternal prize. The prize will be worth the pain. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it goes like this. Therefore, we do not faint. We don't give up. For our light affliction is but for a moment. Compared to the scope of eternity, whatever you're going through now is but a blip on the radar. No matter how painful, it won't last forever. For our light affliction is but for a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Therefore, don't look at things that are seen, but things that are not seen. For things that are seen are temporal, but things that are not seen are eternal. How do you get through the most painful moments in life? You don't focus on what is. You focus on what will be. Don't focus on the pain. Focus on the prize. 
This is what Jesus did, Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. What's it say? It says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy could there have been in a cross? A cross was something that was bloody, it was brutal, it was painful, it was ugly. Yet it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus was looking beyond the cross. The joy was not in the cross, but the joy is what he saw beyond the cross, on the other side of the cross. He didn't find joy in the cross, but he found joy in the crown, that he was reclaiming all that has been lost. And when you have to bear a cross... There are times you're going to bear a heavy cross, and that cross is a thing of pain and shame, suffering. Don't focus on the cross. You focus on the crown. On the other side of the cross is the crown. The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Galatians 6, 9, let us therefore not grow weary in well-doing, for we know in due season, in due season, now is not the season, but there is due season, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see three groanings in Romans chapter 8. Creation groans. We groan. And did you know the Spirit of God groans? The Holy Spirit groans because of the scars of sin. Check this out, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Creation groans, we groan, and what God is teaching us is that in the hardest, darkest moments of our life, the Spirit of God within us groans, with groanings that cannot be uttered. What that means is when you're at a point in life, and I've been there, when frankly I am prayed out, I don't even know what to say. i got nothing left to say. I don't even know how to pray. What the Apostle Paul is teaching is the Spirit of God takes over. He makes intercession for you before the Father with groanings that cannot even be uttered. And all of a sudden, it is supernatural. Jesus called the Spirit of God the Comforter. Jesus said that when I depart, another one will come. He was speaking of God's Spirit. He called the Comforter, and there's a supernatural comfort that takes over in those moments as the Spirit of God begins interceding for you, and you don't even realize what is happening in the spiritual realm. But all of a sudden, it's Philippians 4, 6, a peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't know how some people survive the things they do, but I haven't had to yet. I don't know how I could go on losing a child. I'm just being honest with you, church. I used to consider myself a really tough guy. The older I get, the more I realize I'm not tough at all. It's not because I have such grit and guts. No, it's because of God's grace. It's because of the grace of God I am what I am. It's because of the grace of God I'm still here standing before you today. And I don't know what you've been through. I know what I've been through. I know the scars that I bear. I've told you about the scar on my knee. I've told you about the scar on my chin. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you the, the hardest scars I have had to bear are the scars that you can't see. But they all tell a story. 
My heart, like yours, has been scarred inwardly by wounds inflicted on me. And every scar tells a story. You've got your scars, and the scars we bear outwardly cannot compare to the scars that we bear inwardly. But I do know this. The way you get through any pain is all the same. You focus on the prize. Aren't you glad this life is not all that is, and it is not all that matters? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in him, though he may die, yet shall he live. Hope lives. Hope has never died. Because Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. And I'm trying to tell you today that Jesus bore his scars so that we can bear ours. Jesus bore his scars so that he can heal ours. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his scars, we are healed. He has the power to heal every scar and every wound that's ever been inflicted on you or by you. But for some of us, there's a next step. For some of us, honestly... It's community. We just had Group Connect a week ago right here at least Summit. The other campuses will be soon. You don't heal in solo. You don't heal in anonymity. You heal in community. Somebody just this week told me they'd got a text at 1 o'clock in the morning from somebody in their group. Their mother had just died. Let me ask you, who are your 1 o'clock in the morning people? you have people like that in your life? We all need them. For some of us, it's community. Hey, for others, it's regen. Regeneration's your next step. For others, it's grief share. We've got grief share that we'll be launching again in just a, a few weeks. For some of us, it's divorce care. There's always a next step. And these next steps are how you appropriate practically the redemption and the healing that Jesus has already won for you at Calvary. He bore his scars so that he can heal yours. I want to pray with you. Jesus, I pray for every person right now in this place and all those at the other campuses and all those that are worshiping with us online. God, you know the deepest, most painful places in our lives. And Jesus, you're our healer. And I pray that today, the scars that you bore would begin to heal ours. In the quietness of this moment, wherever you're watching or worshiping from, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand to heaven. If you're in a time of suffering and that wound is still bleeding, I just want to have a time of prayer for you. That's all I want to do. Just slip up your hand right now, would you? Yeah, just leave your hand up, would you? Blue Springs, Independence, all of you online, just hold your hand in heaven. And that scarred hand of Jesus, I promise, is going to reach down from heaven touch that hand of yours. 
I'm going to ask you to do something now. Would you stand up? Just stand to your feet, wherever you are. Just stand up right now. I want to pray for you. Your hand is up. Go ahead and stand up. And right now, the Spirit of God is going to intercede for the people of God with groanings that cannot be uttered. Jesus, you see these, your precious dear people, that you have ransomed and redeemed by your precious blood. Right here in Lee Summit, Blue Springs and Independence, all of our church houses, all over the country. Jesus, we believe that you have reclaimed what Adam lost. That as the last Adam, you will finish where the first Adam failed. That paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. But Lord, we live in this temporary space and place of time full of tears and trials and pain and loss. And I pray that you administer right now hope and healing. Like everyone else is not standing, if you look up right now and see somebody standing, just stand your feet. I want you to place your hand on their shoulder. That's all we're going to do. I want the body of Christ to minister one to another right now, wherever you are. If you're in a church house, another campus, See, it's so hard to go solo. You're not made to carry that pain alone. You're not alone. And Jesus, I pray the presence and the healing power of God upon these dear saints of God, that, Lord, you begin to heal these wounds of sin and suffering that's been inflicted upon them and that the grace of God that surpasses all understanding and the peace of God would begin to minister in the place of that pain. Hope and healing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Give Jesus the glory today. Would you with me? Praise the church. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.